tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations. Let's welcome Dr. Mbumene Longobe, a head of department and senior lecturer for the Department of Social Work at the University of the Free State. Dr. Ngobe, good evening and thank you very much for joining us once again. Once again, Sotole, good evening to you too. I trust that we're going to have an engaging uh, topic with your A-teamers. Well, I'm looking forward to it because uh, we are talking about something that's still our current reality. Although our restrictions are now... I think, lighter than what they were when COVID-19 started about two years ago. Uh, we're on uh, adjusted lockdown level one. There's uh, also possibility that we could be moved away from disaster, um, a state of disaster um, you know, realm. But we still have COVID-19 and we know that it has caused a lot of changes from the way education is being delivered to the way people work, um, loss of jobs, increase in absolutely everything from fuel to food to taxi fare. So there's been a lot of impact that COVID-19 has um, put onto us as South Africans. From a social worker's point of view, what are some of the most noticeable changes that COVID-19 brought to the family and community? Thank you very much, Sotole. Um, indeed, as you've just indicated, this is a pandemic um, that um, has spread over multiple countries, if not the world over, and of course across continents. Um, so it is important um, from a social point of view to try and see the impact that it has had on um, perhaps at a national level, but we've also come back, come down to an individual, to, to families and to communities. Um, you'll, you'll understand that, um, especially despite the fact that COVID-19 has the prevalence thereof has been widespread in the uh, you know European countries and of course some Asian countries, but it has had such a devastating effect um, on on the third world. Uh, it basically, when when you look at uh, you looking at the first world, uh, the, the, the the advantage that they had is that you know they had all the resources to try and mitigate uh, you know to deal with the shock that came with COVID-19 because it came with all these the restrictions and things that. To, to, to be halted uh, with immediate effect. So they had all the resources to deal with that. But when you're looking at the, the third world, most of the countries in the third world, they did not have all those resources. Um, you know, while some countries had solidarity funds, we didn't have solidarity funds. But of course, governments had to try and make do with the little that they had. But you'll realize that some of the countries, uh, they had to even go to, a, to an extent of even going to, to the likes of World Bank and the IMF to try and get money to try and, and, and see that they take care of their own citizens. Um, I know the likes of India and, of course, South Africa, they had to go to the World Bank, some went to the IMF to, to, the IMF to get that money. But now you'll see that this will have a ripple effect, especially on the lives of individuals, lives of com- communities um, in all these different countries, because these this, this loans that are taken from the World Bank and the IMF have got a huge impact and they will have some, you know, recurring interest that will also, you know, burden the individuals. Now, coming to the to, to the individual to try and see the, the kind of impact that this has had, you, you, you look at the, the manner in which, um, you know, sometimes it has got positive, it, it has a positive um, impact. And when you're looking at the positive impact, 
over time you realize totally that you've been you, you you overwork yourself and sometimes you don't even have the time to rest. But now the restrictions that came with COVID-19 has given you some time to rest and reproduce your energy, especially during the hard lockdown. So people had that time to rest, time that they never um, dreamed that they, they, they would ever have in their lifetime. Uh, so that was a positive aspect. And of course, another one was a moment of reflection and thinking about your life anew. You know, there are people who took advantage of all the opportunities that were brought, brought about by the um, COVID-19 challenges that we saw. So there are some people who were not um, millionaires before the COVID-19, and today they are millionaires, and today they are living large because they sought up some opportunities and they grabbed those opportunities. But the, then on the, on the negative side, there's quite a lot, again, of the negative um, elements that tripped out of, out of this, looking at an individual, you know, um, uh, during that time of uh, hard lockdown, you know, individuals um, depleted their resources, you know, so they, because the majority of the people who are living in the third world, they are basically living from hand to mouth. And it was quite, you know, those protracted lockdown restrictions, you know, they eventually individuals saw themselves running out of the resources in terms of income and whatever they had. And that uh, again, brought quite a lot of, um, you, you know, the, the families or individuals into a state of confusion. From confusion, there was a lot of anxiety, moving from anxiety. People suffered from stress, spiraling down to depression. And uh, quite a lot of individuals, especially from where we sit as social workers, there was a lot of suicidal, suicidal ideation. We dealt with a lot of people wanting to, take, to commit suicide because they couldn't bear with the kind of stresses that came from the environment as a result of COVID-19. So that was the impact, um, you know, um, on, on individuals. But there's also the aspect, as you indicated, Sotone, on the family side. From the you know, our families are not the same. There are functional families, there are some dysfunctional families. But for functional families, and, 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 and they so happen to also have uh, some resources, it was a moment of bonding during that hard lockdown. You know, people never had time to bond. You know, married couples never had time to bond. You know, parents never had time to bond with their children. Then that was the time to say, now you're not going anywhere. You're spending the whole day, the whole week, the whole month, you know, looking at one another. So it was a good time for fun functional families to get together and get to know one another. All right. But then, um, unfortunately, it wasn't uh, the, the case for many families especially looking at the, you, you know, those coming from, you, you know, poverty-stricken areas, where even the spaces where they're staying, you know, find that they're staying, you know, in a, just a one room, and everybody has to be there in that one room and even a small space, uh, in, in, what you refer to as the yard outside. So it, it's not even enough for everybody to be there at, at, at all at the same time. So that brought up quite a lot of frustration. And it had huge implications, especially uh, when we're looking at women, you know, women usually, usually usually have got the burden of care. And during this hard lockdown, imagine everybody being at home. The burden of care lay uh, disproportionately to, um, you know, looking at women. They, they carry quite a lot of weight, uh, load when, when that is concerned. And you find that with some men who do not even care, they wouldn't mind, you know, the woman working up, waking up in the morning, having to do all the chores from morning right up to sunset, and one being a man sitting there watching the woman working all along. And that brought about quite a lot. Quite a lot of women went through through trauma, through a lot of um, emotional suffering at, at that point in time. So these are some of the things that we can we can look at. And despite that, um, over and above that, if we look at globally, totally, 
you know, the, the, the way rising cases of um, women abuse, gender-based violence, uh, and, and, you know, escalation of, um, you know, sexual abuse on women. And uh, generally, you've got one in three women where we say, they, 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 in general, even outside COVID times, uh, you, you know, that the four victims of violence are perpetrated by their intimate partners. And during this time, COVID time, um, you know, for two years, 243 million cases of women and girls between the ages of 15 and 49 experience sexual and physical abuse, again, perpetrated by their uh, intimate um, partners. So that one is on sort of the, is something that we need to look at and say, really, how, how did they contend? How are they contending? Because some of them are still going through this as we speak. So maybe let me pause here for now. I'm going to open up the lines for our A-teamers uh, to uh, comment and weigh in. I mean, um, everyone has uh, felt the pinch from COVID-19, but we want to know how your family has coped throughout this time. Um, two years, two years is a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. We, When it started, we were saying A-teamers are new normal. Have we gotten used to that two years of new normal, wearing the masks, uh, sanitizing, and the circumstances, socioeconomic circumstances that we we are facing as uh, families and communities. Call in 011-714-2006 or you can SMS 41391. WhatsApps go to 0614-104107. I'm going to the lines. A.T. Madumzi, good evening. Good evening, Patricia and the guests. Good evening. Yes, uh, I think we should distinguish between the impact of COVID-19 itself and government response to COVID-19 so that we don't attribute some of the impact to COVID-19 when it's just how we uh, government responded and then the later impact. I think it's important to do that. Uh, But um, on my own side, uh, from what I have noticed, I think society, societal thinking has been changed in the direction of, uh, uh, you, you see, when, when, if you have a, a specialist in a particular field uh, governing or leading the general thinking for a two-year period, people's thinking change and they think like that specialists, we've been led by doctors, medical doctors and uh, scientists for the past two years. So societal thinking is now geared towards mandatory vaccines. Just, just like whenever, um, if you are led by a, a drug dealer, for example, if we had been governed by drug dealers, they would all turn us into gangsters. We would all be for a period of two years. Our thinking has been geared towards this, and it's easy enough for them to control our thinking for a period of two years. There's a reason why specialists should not uh, be the ones governing, but at the moment they were governing through the back door. Instead of having a general balance of societal thinking, we are all thinking in a one direction, and it's actually bad for society to develop in future because of 
uh, of that. Sorry, that, that's all I had to say. Doomsday, I want to ask you a question. I mean, yes. everything you've spoken makes sense, but you're speaking in the third person. And for me, I, I'm, I want to know, for the past two years, how has your community and your family and you as an individual been impacted? What are the things that you have seen change? I understand you want us to take it, you know, and, and see government's response to COVID-19. But at the end of the day, we are the individuals that make up the society. So how has your community changed or your family? What are the things that have okay. touched you? Okay, for me, uh, I, will, I would say COVID-19 uh, responses by government have impacted me negatively economically because it has it set me back, uh, I think, to more than three years, to what I was more than three years back. So I now have to pick up the pieces mm. and uh, rebuild my life to what I was three, from what I was three years back and move forward. That's all I can say. Ooh. Thank you for sharing. And it is a very, very... And, 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 yeah. and, and it, is not, it is not COVID-19, but it is government's response to COVID-19. I hear you. I hear you. And I think okay. it, it, what you're sharing with us is something that I totally understand because there's a lot of us as South Africans financially that have really felt the pinch, um, either by losing jobs or having our incomes cut um, due to the pandemic and its ripple effect. Thanks, Dooms. And I'm, I'm wishing you all the best. And uh, I, I hear you've got a level head. You're going to make it despite the challenges. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going now to Tepiso, Atima Tepiso. Good evening. Hello, Petri. Good evening, Tepi. I'm all right. <laughs> I'm glad you're good, Tepi. What's up? Well, when you, when you were talking about uh, COVID-19 and family, you know, reunion, I was talking to my mama the other day, you know. I don't want to lie. It's hard. It's hard, it's really hard. I mean, like, ever since COVID-19 came out, like, I don't even know what's going on. Mm. You know, like, it's really hard. I don't want to lie. I try to understand. I try to see things on other people's prosperity, but it seems like nothing is happening. Now there are companies who are, like, producing things that are killing people. You know, I heard about it. I was listening to the news about 5 o'clock and they were talking about pollution and, you know, those companies who are doing, who are killing people, you know, like millions of people within a year. Seems like COVID is doing nothing. Sure. You understand? Yeah, I hear you too. COVID-19, yes, it came and it ruins our lives. It's okay, but... Before COVID-19, seems like they're being chemicals killing us. It's like we are breathing this air. I don't understand, but we are breathing. I don't breathe the same air I used to breathe when I was a young. I don't understand. I'm sorry to be emotional on the radio, but this is reality. This is a reality. I don't want to lie. Sure, I hear you. I hear you, Tepi. And I, I feel That's what I'm saying. Like, mm. I don't want to talk a lot of things about the government and about the politicians and everything, but my problem is the companies, 
they are producing some, they say, uh, even for guys, there are companies who are producing some things that they are damaging our people. Mm. Well, thank you very much for calling in, Tepi. Thank you, and I, I understand and feel what you're saying. Let me go back to you, Dr. Ngube. Dr. Ngube, um, our, our A-team is a citing very um, sad encounters of the impact of COVID-19 and all its tentacles because it's, it's, it's so multifaceted. It's not just the pandemic, but it's everything that has changed due to the pandemic being so prevalent. Yes, um, and uh, these are real stories, um, sort of as people, you know, are, are letting uh, their stories to us to try and understand the impact that COVID-19 has had. You know, there are people who've lost their loved ones um, within the families, and some of those who've departed have been uh, breadwinners, and now their families that are left without any source of income at all. There are some people who are still together, nobody was was, was lost in the family, but they, are, they lost their sources of income. And, you know, you come to think of a situation where you've lost your source of income and you're the breadwinner, the kind of change that will will be brought uh, by that into your family, how your children are going to be affected as a man, how your your wife is going to be affected and how you individually as a man, you're supposed to provide, but now all of a sudden you can't provide. And people are faced with all these circumstances and they don't even have anywhere to to look at. And on, on the side, you might hear of the government talking about, you know, these cash transfers talking about 350 that is nothing that is nothing so totally you get to look at your own life how much you spend on a daily basis and if you have to be like even 350 not to say there is nothing and not to say it is it doesn't make any change of course what half a lot is better is better than nothing so but in any case even one gets those um, cash transfers they don't make any impact in the in the life of an individual because COVID-19 has brought has, has brought about these uh, huge changes in our lives and so the that one is going, it causes about anxiety. And when you hear somebody crying, and if you hear somebody struggling, some people don't even know how to cry because they've cried over and over again. They don't even know how to cry anymore because that is the impact. Is they are carrying a huge workload on their on their shoulders. They don't even know who's going to come and assist them in that regard. So, and in in that whole process, you realize that people get, like I said, they get they get stressed. There's a lot of anxiety, and there's a lot of, lot of uh, depression, these are health, health indications, uh, and of course, as I indicated earlier on, that we've dealt with cases of suicidal ideation. So unfortunately, these are the realities, and it's even dire in the third world, looking at our own uh, situation in Africa and, of course, some countries um, in, in Asia and, of course, uh, South America. We are almost in the same situation. But then if you get to look at some countries in, the, in, in North America and Europe, you realize that, you know, these cash transfers have been huge uh, in such a way that uh, one can manage to live um, their life um, is normal um, because they can manage to give people huge cash transfers. So indeed, these are some of the cases that we, we're dealing with so totally. You know, w- w- let's let's focus a bit on uh, the, the income, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because we have seen that since COVID-19 globally, um, you know, inflation has been quite high. So, and then job losses has been high as well. How, how are people affected emotionally and mentally? And their behavior due to this. I've I've read reports of uh, people, you know, not just committing suicide, but killing family members and then 
killing themselves as well. Uh, and, and I can only think that it's probably because the source of income is no longer there or there's stress related to a source of income that is no longer there that will cause such a thing. That's true, Sotole. It is out of desperation, not knowing exactly what to do. Here is a situation that has presented itself, and it was so abrupt. One had no time to prepare for it, so it has presented itself. So there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of frustration. And uh, at the end of the day, one then tries to see what would be the best way of letting this frustration out. That's why during this course of time, we've seen a, you, you know, an escalation in the number of gender-based gender violence uh, cases. Um, and as I indicated, women falling um, falling into victimhood in all, all this. Children as well. We've seen quite a lot of children falling um, victims into this whole situation. And, and as you indicated again, that on the other hand, sometimes these perpetrators at the end of the day, they also choose to take their own lives thinking that this is the best way out of this uh, mayhem that we are faced with. Unfortunately, it is not the best way out of it. But in any case, we're saying for all those who might be in those circumstances, it is important that you look at within, within your family sometimes there might be help. Within your community, sometimes there might be help. I've dealt with communities totally where that, that, that are able to identify that in certain households, income has been lost. In certain households, great um, um, uh, 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 winners have been lost, and so forth and so on. Then communities begin to come together to say, how do we assist in this household? Um, and uh, beyond that, of course, um, there will be the state that also comes in. There will be companies that also come in to try and assist in that regard. But the bottom line is that our people are devastated especially those who have lost income, those who have lost individuals. There are certain circumstances where an individual, I know of a family, um, it was a family of three, all the other members passed, passed on, and this individual is left alone. You know, and imagine the whole change. It's a whole change coming into life of, life of an individual. If this one individual, just like with the other one who, who's lost income, if they don't get the necessary support, unfortunately, then um, the, the future is doomed. It is important that um, we, 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 we as, as, as community members, as family members, we become vigilant of our own family members, extended family members. We, we are vigilant of our community members. First, that you should see or if you can detect that there might be a challenge in that family, you reach out to the community. There is community leadership. Let, let them reach out to try and find out how best they can um, they can deal with the situation. The reason why people resort to violence, because they can see that there's no, there's, there's no any other way out, and they tend to let their frustration on other people in that way. And there was also a phase when COVID-19 started where there was a lot of stigmatization, right? Have we moved on from that? Because we, it, it was a virus that was not known. Um, and w once you hear that someone has COVID in a particular family, how would the society behave? Are we still behaving the same way? Are we more empathetic? Yes. In actual fact, you're right. When it started, this was a novel situation. It was a novel virus unknown to us, unknown to, 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 to most of us. And um, as a result, when, when we were told that it is deadly, and you know that anything that is, that is deadly, you immediately think that if one is infected, then the next step is death.
And it was exactly like that at first when one is infected, you know that, you know, this stigmatization and of course death will follow thereafter. But with the progression of time and with the amount of information that was, uh, that was said on, on different forms of um, media, different platforms of media, um, you, you, we, we then began to change our mentality, our mindset and our mental disposition towards the pandemic. Um, and now we've got more information, we've got more understanding and we, we, can, we know how to deal with it. Uh, better. You remember that there was a time where people had to, you, you know, to try because they knew that there was no medication for this, and quite a lot of people um, in our communities they had to resort to garlic, ginger, and everything else uh, to try and ensure that they managed that. That was also a way, a coping mechanism for the people. And now, at least with the with the vaccinations that they, they've that, that we've well, we, we've received, you're seeing a huge mental shift. Um, such that when you tell somebody that you've got um, you've got COVID-19, um, you, you know they just say no, don't worry, you'll get over it. Uh, it, it will pass because they have been through it. The majority of us have been through this phase, and we know we've we've survived. While on the other hand, there's quite a number of other people who have uh, lost their lives in the process. But the majority of people contracted um, COVID-19, they have survived. So that one is on has had a huge impact on the main end on the manner in which we view um, the, the COVID-19. COVID and in the process, stigmatization has has lessened. Of course, it is still there, but it has lessened uh, compared to what it was initially. Sort of. Are our societies, our communities, and families um, at a place where we are now able to, in hindsight, look at where we've been in the past almost twenty-four months? and start planning towards the future, taking key learnings, or are we still on shaky ground when it comes to the impact that COVID-19 has had on us? Yes, unfortunately, well, in fact, there's been quite a lot of lessons that we've drawn out of this. There's been quite a lot of health lessons that we've drawn out of this. Um, I, I, I know of people who, on a daily basis, now they steam, and apparently that has got a huge uh, um, benefit to one's health. They steam on a daily basis, and now people don't want to shake hands, and that also has got a huge uh, health benefit to people. Don't go around shaking hands. It has, uh, you, you know, revolutionized the way in which we relate to one another. So on a positive aspect, yes, we've got some positives that we've learned out of this whole thing. And of course, at a national level, you realize that the government capacity to uh, to research has also you know increased the the government health the healthcare facilities they have also been improved as a result of this so these are some of the benefits that we've gotten or some of the lessons that we've gotten out of this experience with covid-19 pandemic but on the other hand especially when it comes to because we've been caught in a situation where one has to have um you know good reserves in order for them to survive, especially during hard lockdowns, especially during the time when they are not getting any any income. So one has had to have a huge reserve. Unfortunately, there we are still stuck in one place because you realize that the unemployment rate is increasing. So there is no way in which you can talk a serving to somebody who's, who, who doesn't even know where their next meal is going to come from. So it is increasing. And with the majority of our people, like I said, they are living um, from hand to mouth. So there's nothing that they can save until such time that the economic prospects um, change for the better. Unfortunately, we might find ourselves in this kind of a situation for the longest of time. Um, we, we, we're hoping that in due course, then there, there, there will be some positive change in our economic prospects um, from what we are, we are, we are at, at the moment. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like there's anything that is going to change immediately in as far as our economy is concerned. Okay.
Okay. Uh, how do we pick ourselves up? If there's no change in sight immediately, how do we then pick ourselves up? Because I can imagine there's a mother who's listening right now and saying, Dr. Ngobe, Patricia, I'm just tired. There is a father who's saying, I'm about to give up. There is a child who's saying, I don't even know why I'm going to school. You know, there's someone out there listening and they've just reached their wit's end. How do we then pick up? Because we don't want to have a society that will be scarred by a global pandemic. And that will obviously reshape society. And we are obviously trying to regenerate ourselves. But this has put a dampener on things. So how do we rebuild, Dr. Ngobe? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, unfortunately, giving up is not an option. If you are giving up, actually, you're, 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 you're taking on an option that is not there because it is not an option. It is not one thing that you can say, I'm resorting to this. You can't give up. All you need to, to do is to try and say, we, we, we look at, looking at around and perhaps being, being um, each other's keepers and try and see how, what, what best can we do as a collective. Because as in times where you get to a point where you say, now there's no, there's no, there's no way forward, there's no way backward, I'm here where I am. So now as a collective, there are ways in which we can survive. And our communities have survived for the longest of time, even in historical times, coming together and seeing how best um, they can deal with famine in, the, in their communities, how they can deal with certain sketches that um, you know, affected them. So coming together, for starters, coming together as a family. Unfortunately, we are living in times, again, where families are failing to come together, where families are failing to, to, to relate to one another, family members are failing to do that. But this is a time where we need to reconsider our relationships with our families and saying, here we are as a family. How do we ensure our survival as a family? How do we support each other? If somebody within a family has got an extra income or they've got a way in which they can assist our other family members, it's a time to see how best they can assist them so that in they can try and see what best can they do. And that's why now we're even encouraging young people to say, as you're considering your career options, try and consider those options where you can say, even as an individual, I will be in a position to try and be my own employer as opposed to being employed. Because if you are on your own employer, you've got a skill. It doesn't matter what time it is, you are able to try and see how best you can you know, make means, uh, ends meet. Um, for instance, come to think of people who are builders you know, people are always building everywhere. Come to think of big people who are plumbers, uh, people who, who, who need jerseys, who need school uniforms and whatnot. Because it's a skill that one has, it's important to ensure that you, 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 you make use of that skill. But if you do not have a skill, you'll always be looking forward to being employed. Because it is, it is not usually um, the case that you don't have a skill and then you start employing, you, you, you open up uh, something that can make, assist you to make ends meet, uh, and then you get into into, into tenderpreneurship. Tenderpreneurship is not for everyone, as we have seen. It, only a few individuals get in, into that, and uh, you know, by luck again, or by by connections, and they, they make it. But it is not for everybody in the community. So it is important that we, should, we ensure that our young people get skills. As for us who are perhaps already, we are adults already, it, it is important to try and see what can we um, leverage from our own families, what can we leverage from our own communities. Even from within religious uh, circles, in your own churches, sometimes you, you, you find that there could be something that, you know, people, women within church groups, they can find out, they come up with cooperatives that they can do. It is important. There's more power in getting together than standing alone. 
are we are we as a society still um, exhibiting Ubuntu? Late night conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Closet conversations. We're in conversation with Dr. Mpumelelungube talking about the impact that COVID-19 has had on our families, us as individuals and communities from a socio-economic point of view. And uh, before the break, uh, Dr. Ngube, I was asking you if our communities, if we as individuals still have Ubuntu, because it seems that in order for us to be able to to, to buffer what we are currently experiencing, we need to be there for each other. We need to lend a helping hand, even during our own times of pain. Yes. So for the Ubuntu, it is still there, but it is gradually eluding us as a people. But perhaps it is important that we also take note of what um, some people did during this point of this period of time. Come to look at um, what the government did, you know, coming up with the Solidarity Fund and a lot of people contributing their money there. Um, quite a lot of parliamentarians contributed their income, a portion of their income, um, to to that Solidarity Fund. That is an element of Ubuntu, knowing that if I can afford um, and I've got an extra. Why can't I take, take that extra and give it to somebody who doesn't have? And that was a good gesture of Ubuntu. And uh, you, you look at the likes of uh, Gift of the Givers, they are playing a huge role. That is another huge um, gesture of, uh, of Ubuntu. Um, as individuals in our communities, as I indicated earlier on, we are seeing individuals who are contributing to these com- um, community solidarity funds where they, they, they come together and they make food parcels uh, and they distribute food food parcels to community members. That is a, a huge gesture of Ubuntu. Another thing that we need to do is to ensure that you look at, you you, you, you need to know Umakelo Nwako Sotole, know Umakelo Nwako, and you need, sometimes they might not come to you asking for bread, but you must know when they are hungry, you must know when they are fine. So it is important that when you you, you acknowledge or realize that Umakelo is hungry, do not, do not be shy to reach out. That is Ubuntu. It's something that is in you. You don't have to struggle. Ubuntu tells you, you know, you, you, you know, you, you find yourself having to move. Sometimes you may even question yourself after having done it to say, really, did I do that? But you're being driven by this feeling in you uh, that is that is embedded in Ubuntu to try and help Umakiran. Within the families, we, we know we come from huge families. You need to look around and say, how best can I assist Abandana Rasekaya who are struggling? How best can I assist Oan? Uh, or Malume who are struggling, if I can afford sending one hundred rand, that on its own makes a huge impact. It's a gesture of Ubuntu, and it's something that we cannot afford to lose, especially if we want to survive as a people. If we want to survive as a people, let us revive Ubuntu. In that way, you'll see that even the gaps that might be, you know, that one family might have, can easily be closed before anyone else can see. It is not appropriate for you to see Umakiran struggling and then you call another Umakiran to talk about the, the, the hardships, the hardness of all the, the, the other Umakiran. It's important to say you cover the gap before anyone else sees it. Now, here's a message that uh, really touches my heart. All these messages, clearly, oh, it's been devastating for a lot of us. This one's via SMS saying, Hi, Sis Pat, a good discussion. I'm trying my best to listen to it. But I'm, I'm not well, to be honest. I, I listened to my brother KGM earlier, and I'm so very devastated. My strength has gone.
Another one says, hi, Sis Pat and Dr. Ngube. COVID-19 has turned my life upside down. The last time we spoke, my grandpa was in ICU due to COVID. Today, two days later, he passed on. I'm all alone in this world. I have to face my future alone. I'm having a very hard time because I don't work. And if I don't work, I won't eat. That's from Jabulo Doom. Then this one from Miss N in Soweto. Miss N in Soweto say, good evening, Mantuli. Since the beginning of the pandemic, all we hear is the new normal. But the question is, do we really understand the term new normal? Because everyone is rushing back to the normal life they had before the pandemic. For me, there was a lesson in all of this. But um, does everyone see that point? I lost a loved one during the pandemic. I survived the virus myself. It's easy for everyone to preach change, but when change comes, it's hard to accept it. I believe the system of things was changed on a global and collective scale, not just for individuals. That's the hardest part of understanding the history of pandemics. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Let me go to the lines. Atima J. Good evening, Jay. Good evening to you and good evening to our guests here. I'm glad you brought up uh, a, a very, very uh, important topic about uh, this old thing. You know, very importantly, I'll just uh, point it out about Ubuntu, Ubuntu. Now, this new way of life has really taught us a very, very severe lesson about coming together in the past couple of uh, decades we all was very very uh, selfish individually we want to uh, you know go forward uh, wanting to have everything and not thinking of the next person but the COVID has now taught us how to be dependent and be there for each other how are we going to get this discipline into our generation and the future generation. This is only comes through discipline. That this, this kind of a discipline doesn't even come from schools, but by congregational, religious, and spiritual leaders and upbringing. When the family goes to congregation, prayers, and service together with children from a very young age, that's where the discipline is set in. The uh, children and individuals learn. It's the community and various sector of people get together, pray together, and the discipline is instilled about sharing and caring in a loving way, forgiving each other, be there for each other. The COVID has taken away many, many of our loved ones and left us alone. Mm. We are battling, but at the same time in that battle, we have to protect each other. The year 2022 is telling us two, two, together. Your hand is holding my hand, and the two hands are supporting each other. So this is what I say 2022 has come eventually to teach each other. No matter how much you can earn, it's not going to only just going to look after you elsewise and protect you in the future. you got to share what little you have. And if you have stolen and taken from society, 
give it back to society. Give it back to society. All the hoarding of money is not going to save you from this COVID. It's going to be there for a very, very long time. Thank you very much for this beautiful program. Have a good and safe Thank you very much, Jay. A heartfelt message there. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, prosperity, health and uh, peace to you too. Now, Dr. Ngobe, as we wrap up our conversation, it's clearly one uh, that, uh, you know, we, we can uh, continue on for a long time because we have not seen the end of COVID-19. But the impact, we have not even scratched the surface as to how we can be healing each other. So please, for the time that we have, maybe just give us your closing comments and also encourage South Africans, encourage individuals and families um, the best way that you can, because we shouldn't be giving up hope. Yes, precisely. I think your your last Echima also put it aptly how best we should view these changes. In fact, if uh, if anything that we should have learned from uh, from this period is the principle of love, loving another, loving one another. You know, and and seeing love not as a duty, um, but also as something that comes from deep down your heart. You know, it should be organic. Loving another person, loving the people within your household, because those are the people, uh, your, your immediate family that is going to be there to provide support. There is no reason why you should, um, you, you know, you, you should be counted amongst those who have inflicted or perpetrated uh, domestic violence within your family. You shouldn't be counted amongst those who are causing havoc within your community when people are struggling, people are trying to make ends meet, yet you are causing this havoc within your community. Then it, it has also taught us the ethic of caring, you know, caring uh, for one another. You need to care for the next person, knowing very well that tomorrow it might be them who need to care for you. We've, had, we've been in times where you, we, despite the money that you might have, despite or everything else that you might have, the material positions that you might have, but you needed to be cared for by other people, you know. And if you didn't have relationships, good relationships with other people during this point period, you, you, you find that you really struggle to, 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 to survive, people to assist you, to try and get back onto your feet uh, on your time of weakness. It is important that we look at this. But the other thing in a few, few minutes, a few seconds uh, so totally, is that when we're looking at our community leaders, perhaps this is the time to try and think out of the box. There are communities, the communities where we're coming from, there are opportunities that are there. You're realizing that in a community there's a garage that is supposed to be constructed and you realize that there are people who come from elsewhere to come and, um, and, and, and establish uh, garages. Uh, you know, one owns a garage but you find the person does not even stay in that community. You know, the, the community Need a shop right, and you find that um, somebody comes from elsewhere, and then they, they own a shop right in the community. This is the time for the community leadership to try and think that can't we have a garage that is owned by the community? Can't we have a shop right, you know, that is owned by the community, uh, or all the other, or all the other businesses that are owned by this community? And you know that in that way you are opening that um, something that we may refer to as a community sovereign fund. It's just that when when times hard times like these ones come, a community that has managed to you know have funds of that nature, they'll be able to take care of the people in need at any given point in time. We shouldn't always be looking for outside for help. We must also try and work during good times to be self-sufficient because we know that there's hard times they will also come, and when they come, we must be able to deal with them as opposed to to be looking elsewhere. Okay. Thank you so very much, uh, Dr. Ngube. Always such a great pleasure. Uh, the insight you give us is uh, so invaluable. I, I just, yeah.
I just do hope and pray that South Africans, families and communities and individuals, we will be able to not allow scars to remain with us um, mm. post this pandemic. The ripple effects have been hard hitting and still are. But the scars, that's what we need to be healing. Thank you very much, Dr. Good evening. So, A-teamers, on that note, we are about to head on home. We'll be back for the Wednesday edition of Late Night Conversations at 10 p.m. On this side, from the team, we ask that you just remain peaceful and loving, loving to yourself and loving to those around you, and be patient. The process is sometimes not easy, but patience is a virtue, and that virtue is something that has beautiful results at the end of it all. May goodness and grace lead you all to the great heights of success. 